You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you have your Bibles, uh, your YouVersion apps, you can go there. If not, we can, we can look to the screen here. Uh, but I wanted to do something different. So last year during this day, I offered a word to the sisters, to the women, and your place, as I see it in Scripture, what I think it reveals as to your place in the kingdom of God. And I alternate every year. We'll do one, something like that, maybe, maybe something a little broader. Today, today I wanted to talk about the familial, the family, the language of family in Scripture and what that means for the people of God. Because the language of family is found throughout the New Testament, but it's not found in the way that we often think about. It's not how our society thinks about family. That's not what we see in the Scripture. It's more expansive and it's more transformative. And you could even say the Scripture is inviting us to a transformed understanding of family, one that aligns more faithfully with the new kind of person that each one of us is becoming and has become in our baptism. So Jesus in a text, in this particular text I want to read first, says something I think is worth thinking through in light of the new kind of family God is creating. So Jesus, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. He was still speaking to the crowds when suddenly his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But he replied to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. This is not the most warm and fuzzy text, right? Like, imagine a kid with his or her mother walking into church gathering on Mother's Day and said to her, Mother, the reason I did not get you a card is because only the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven are my mothers. Right? Like that, that, that number one, that would be kind of awesome because your kid would be super theologically astute. Um, but, but, I mean, it's not, this isn't a warm and fuzzy text, right? And I think what Jesus is saying is that when God's people begin living together as God's people, our experience of family should transform and expand. We now have many mothers and fathers, many sisters and brothers, because we all love, worship, and enjoy the same creator God who is revealed to us as both, in Scripture, father and mother. Through the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus was announcing that had broken in, beloved. He was creating a new kind of humanity that would be a new kind of family, a kingdom family, an eternal family that would live as a redemptive family in the here and now to bring hope to the world as the the possibilities of what kind of family could be created in a world that would consist of fragmented relationships. And so when writing the church in Thessalonica, The Apostle Paul spoke in the language of family, especially the language of mother and father. And this is when Paul begins his first letter to them and reminds them not only the conduct and ministry to them, but those who came with him to serve the Thessalonian church. This is the familial language of Paul. This is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to read a lot of verses, so just try to keep up. You can go to your version and find it. It'll be up here. He says this, 
Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostle, instead we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. You see the image he's painting? There was a motherliness even to their care of the church. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become dear to us. Do you remember our labor and hardship, brothers? Working night and day so that we would not burden any of you, we preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see that? Paul is saying, we loved you like mother. We loved you like father. We nurtured you. We implored with you. We were there with you in a caring way, in a familial way. This is how Paul understood the new kind of humanity that's been created to Jesus and what it means when we come to Jesus, what it means for us in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Paul didn't say, I came to you as an apostle, or I just came to you as a preacher. He said, I came to you like a mama. I came to you like a daddy. I came to you as one who loves you like a child of God. Not as small and significant children, but as people who needed care. And this is consistent, biblically, theologically, in terms of how one understands the purposes of God, Ephesians 2, verse 18 to 20, Paul writes this, For through Christ we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer <coughs> foreigners and strangers, but, read it with me, fellow citizens with the saints, and read this with me, and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. We're household. Like we're, the house is not the church building. Here's some people say, let's go to the house of God. The house isn't the church building. The people are the house. The people are the household. We are a household. That's the language. We're not just a, we're, we're certainly not a club, right? We're not like a membership society. We're a household. That's why we deal with real issues in the household of God. That's why we speak to things in the household of God. That's why we fuss sometimes, we fight, and we always love and we always forgive because we're the household of God. At least we should. And we don't always. And the reason we don't always is because we are the household of God. And see, if the church were to recapture the familial identity of the church. If the church were to recapture, to work hard at recapturing what it means to be the household of God, then lives would heal and no one would be alone. And we would learn what it means to be loved by God who is not an insecure parent who is not fretful and anxious or reactionary in love like I can sometimes be as a parent. God is secure, non-anxious, responsive, not reactionary in love, and always present. 
God will never send us to our rooms without going with us into our rooms. From the beginning of Israel's life, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we hear this image of God as parent. Moses' song after the Exodus said this in Deuteronomy 32, 18. This is what Moses would sing. You ignored the rock who what? Gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. That's motherly language of God. A God who gives birth. Moses could have said created, but Moses used the language of what? Birth. To point to the maternal love and care of God. The God who births us. The image offers us a glimpse into the mothering heart of God. Isaiah 66, verse 12, the prophet said, For this is what the Lord says, I will make peace flow to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flood. You will nurse. And the you is Israel. You will nurse and be carried on her hip and bounced on her lap. As a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. The mothering heart of God. The mothering presence of God. We're taught in church about the fatherliness of God. And that's good because that's in Scripture too. And those of you who have been here a minute know that I've been trying to help us see the motherliness of God as well. No agenda in that. It's just in the Bible. And it's an image that is there. To open our hearts to the God who knows us best and loves us most and cares for us intently. Because the reality of it is, these images that we get in Scripture of mother and father are almost always framed by the images and experiences we have with our own mothers and fathers. And depending upon those images, God's presence will be shaped by the way we see these things. So I find it important as a people to go to Scripture every now and then and open it up and see what God has to say about God's own heart for us. Jesus' words offers the image of the mothering heart of God. Jesus looks out and says in Luke 13, 33, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as what? As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Jesus doesn't say how, oh, how much I wanted to send you to your room. How much I wanted to get my belt out. For those of us who grew up in those environments, Jesus says how I wanted to gather you like a hen under the wing, hold you close, protect you, maybe even protect you from yourself. That is your God. That is your God. Your God is revealed to you and to me here like this. Like a secure parent, God is patient yet responsive. God is firm, yet gentle. Like a secure parent whose love is never manipulative, never codependent, God loves unconditionally 
and embraces the vulnerable that comes with such a love. Like a secure parent who isn't thrown into chaos by the moods of her child and his child, who is able to be steady and fully present in the tears and the laughter, the disappointments and the achievement. God is not tentative. God is not fickle. These images of God, both as father and mother, teach us that God as our parent is not insecure. God loves with a deep faithfulness. Both as mother and father, God is secure in God's own self. And God is secure in God's own love. And you know what that means? As God's children, we can be secure in God's love too. Beloved, no matter how far we ever wander, no matter how distracted we become, or how much we lose our way, God as father and mother is always home. The lights are always on. That'll never change. See, home is what we need. Home is where we can flourish. Home is a place of nurturing, even when there is conflict. It's a place of generosity. It's a place of responsibility where everyone gives and receives. It's a place of security where there are boundaries, and the boundaries are marked by commitments, by values, by practices, by the stories we tell, and the meanings that are special and specific to each one of us who live in this home. Home is a place where identities can be nurtured, where life is nurtured physically, emotionally, cognitively, socially, spiritually. Home is a means of orientation. It's a, it's a place from where we understand the world. It's a place where we are known. And it's a place where we know others. It's a place where love and identity can be secure in this complex and confusing world. And God has said we can find our home with God who as parent, as both father and mother, welcomes us home and makes his home with us. God as parent, as our gracious and generous homemaking God who extends God's presence and God's provision to us, welcomes us in. And that's how God's always been. From the wilderness of the Exodus to Galilee, God provides sustenance to the hungry and even the ungrateful. That's what the Bible tells us. Like Israel, our identity with God includes being displaced foreigners who are welcomed back in even though we are strangers and we find our complete dependence upon God who welcomes us and provides for us. We are God's, as Scripture says, adopted children and naturalized citizens of God's kingdom. And God is accountable to us. You ever thought about that? That God is accountable to us because God loves us and love makes God accountable to us. And we then are accountable to God because we receive the love of God and say we love God too. As sons and daughters who have found ourselves to be at home with God, we are called to be a household where then all are included. 
where society is not irreversibly categorized between the classes and races and genders and sexual preferences and other identity markers. We're supposed to be a place where life can flourish. Beloved, if we are not, then we are a household in need of a reckoning. When life is truly shared in the context of God's gospel, more than one day a week, come on now, more than one day a week, I'm going to say it again, more than one day a week, when life is shared in the context of gospel, more than one day a week, in the context of relationships, then it's shared with deep love and eternal purpose and intention which will look like the kind of community where everyone is a daughter and a son, where everyone is a sister and a brother, and where everyone to someone becomes a father and a mother. We'll talk about that in a minute. See, I think what the words of Jesus and Paul show us is that there will be those of us among us who will serve as spiritual mothers and fathers to us. These will be the people who teach us the language of faith, And they're going to teach us this language of faith by how they live their lives before us. These are the people who, through some form of relationship, begin to teach us the language of faith and disciple us. They invite us into their lives in any number of ways. They teach us about God through their words and show us God through their actions. They are present with us through times of sorrow and disappointment. They are present with us during times of joy and celebration. These are the people who invite us into their lives, a relationship that moves beyond casual greetings one day a week and small talk into a meaningful relationship where love becomes possible, where wisdom and grace and hospitality is known, where it's poured out to us and through these men and women, regardless of any age, become our spiritual fathers and mothers. Let me ask you something. If you're a part of the household of God, who are you mothering? Who are you fathering? Who are you being mothered and fathered by? Or are you just too busy? See, the problem a lot of times with this whole conversation is our society has this idea of household and family as being about our biological last names. I got to do what's best for my family. And what I'm trying to say is in your baptism, that's been elevated. You, you, you get me? Like, it's as biblical as it could be. It's been elevated. Our society wants to push us into believing that nuclear family, that centerpiece of our lives, should be our, our inner circle of people. That isn't consistent with the life that God wants for you in your baptism. And here's why. Because some of us have these hard family experiences and we need spiritual mothers and fathers to step into our lives. We need brothers and sisters to not run from us when things get hard. Every Mother's Day, I think about my spiritual mamas. I think about Gail Wright. You didn't know Gail Wright. When I was little, in Sunday school, in this fundamentalist, legalistic church that I was a part of, Gail Wright was the image of Jesus to me. When I saw her, she and her beautiful big hair would come to me and give me candy. <laughs> and you know you love somebody when you're little and they give you candy. Be like, oh, you look like Jesus. And she taught me in Bible class all my life about the love of God. And she showed me the love of God because no matter how busy I wanted to be in that church, Miss Gail Wright would sit there and talk with me 
I think about other spiritual mamas. I think about a spiritual mama by the name of Margie Venable, Miss Margie Venable. When I was in college and I was usually too, we got kids in here. I was not in the best condition and shape to go to church, if you know what I'm saying, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and many times on a Wednesday night. And so I didn't. And so one Sunday night, I came to church service, and I was standing in the foyer, and I grabbed one of the bulletins. They weren't as cool as us. They didn't call them worship guides. And I was trying to look, see what was going on, and something was going on in there that I didn't plan for. And Margie Venable looked at me. She said, it's hard to know what's going on when you never hear, isn't it, Fred? I was like, all right. I said some things about her in my heart for a minute. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit had that echo in my heart all week long. Because I was raised in church. But you know there's a difference between raising your kids in church and raising your kids in Christ, right? Come on now. Come on. You know. So I was raised in church. Wasn't raised in Christ. Parents did a good job trying to tell you. They did the best of what they could. They showed me what they had. They did everything they knew. But they too were raised in church. She, she did something that made, me, that made me come back to this church where I learned about Christ. Because it echoed in my heart, convicted me every time. And every time I saw her, I didn't know whether to run or to hug her. And one day, about 19, 20 years old, I confessed to her that her word sent me over the edge to come back week after week after week. And we became the best of friends. And when I launched, when me and me and Allison started that campus ministry in that church, they had no idea what that was. It grew out of a coffee shop. She was the number one fan. We were tight. I think about another spiritual mama, Frances Henson. Frances Henson, I didn't know all that well until she got to the point of she had diagnosed with cancer and she was on her bed. And she was too sick to get up for a long, long time. So me and Allison and a couple of other people would go visit her and spend time with her and do her nails. That's right. I do nails. Yeah, don't judge me. I didn't get mine done. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying I did nails. And we would do her nails, and we would spend time with her, and we would listen to her. And every day before we would leave, she would look at us, and she would say, me and Jesus, don't forget, me and Jesus are like this. So don't you worry about me. And she taught me how to die. She modeled something for me. I think about some sisters in this church, I think about Sister Catherine Crow. Y'all didn't know Catherine Crow, some of y'all. She was on the search committee when I was um, being interviewed. Apparently, she was the hard sell. She and I just eventually connected, and I would go visit her house about every week, and we would sit, and we would pray, and we would talk about life and faith, and she would tell me her story again and again, and so many layers to her story. But what I loved about her is she spoke it like it was. Something about me and women who speak it like it is. I'm going to talk about one in a minute. Y'all know. Y'all know I'm about to talk about next. And I'll never forget my mom and dad had visited the church. And Catherine Crow, she was little. She was little. And she went out there and she, she found my mom and dad. She said, I just want you to know something. When I first met your son, I didn't like him at all. <laughs> she said, but I love him now. He's like a son to me. <laughs> Catherine Crow was a safe space for me as a pastor. See, as a pastor, you don't have a lot of safe spaces. Let's be honest with you. 
She was a safe space. She was. I miss her. And I also miss me some Norma. Mm-mm-mm. Now, for those who don't know, Norma and I weren't always buddies. Uh, no. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Brothers got to stay together. <laughs> My goodness. When we became close, we became close. She did. She did. Eventually. <laughs> and we'd read that Bible together. We talk about life and faith. We shared the same favorite hymns. Every now and then, we'd both attempt to sing Father Alone together in our house. Spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, family, the household of God. It's possible for all of us. It is. But it requires an intention. It requires a willingness to put yourself out there on both ends. It requires you being willing to say, I will love someone. It requires you being able to say, I will be loved. And this is a hard thing. Because some of us have hard experiences with mothers and fathers. And I believe that part of the purposes of God in the church who knew the world would be split, who knew that Cain would kill Abel. Come on now. That brother would slay brother. That God knew that the church in its most faithful expression could become, if it were willing to live in its baptismal identity, not deny the identities that we carry in our bodies from the from the hair to the skin to the stories that we bring, if we would take the Eucharist seriously, that we could actually be a new kind of family. When I grew up, I was growing up, and my mom and dad, my mom was super sick, and my sisters who were twins were born, I was 13 years old. I had to wake up every morning, three times a morning at 13 and feed both of my sisters because my mom was too sick to do it. And my dad had to go to work. And it was a hard working experience growing up in my home. And every day after school, I'd get off at 13 years old and I would go and work at my dad's grocery store where he and my uncle owned it. And I would work there and then I'd go play baseball and try and be a kid and do all those things. But that was the narrative of my story growing up in South Georgia. One day, my dad had a fallout with my uncle, and my dad's key didn't fit the door to the store that he ran, and my family was literally left without anything. And my family had just moved into the first house that I could remember. We'd always lived in the trailers, and we'd sometimes lived in the duplexes, and this was one of the first houses we'd ever lived in. I think we, we had one when I grew up, and we lived on the uh, south side of town in the government housing. Growing up, that was a house there. It was the old military barracks, but I was too little to know. My mama said it was a concrete floor, and that's how I learned to walk, because every time I fell, I didn't like it very much, so I stopped falling. Story of my life. <laughs> what in the world? And I remember hearing my mom and dad talking about how we were going to lose the house, and we are going to have to go back and live with Grandma, because we'd had to do that before when we didn't have nowhere to live. 
And I love me some Grandma Liggins, so I was all right. But I'll never forget pulling into the carport. And on the stair underneath the carport going into the house was an envelope with cash spilling over. I mean spilling over. And you know who it came from? The church. And at 13 years old, I learned something about the possibilities of church that has changed my life. As imperfect as those people were, they cared for each other. I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't care about each other. I don't. I want you to show my son what a church looks like that cares for each other. I am not, nor will I be, a perfect father to my kids. And I need other dads to show him what fathering can look like. I need other men to show him what being a Christian man, not an American man, a Christian man looks like. We need to be the family that God has called us to be. And here's the good news. We can be. Everybody say we can be. We can be. To say it's up to me. Say it. It's up to me. Will I give love? Will I open up to love? Will I receive love? Will I make one small step toward love? Or will we just be a church where people sign in and sign out, place membership, get upset, leave, come back, whatever? Will we just be like that? Because I don't call that church. Not that, I don't think the Bible calls that church. Not the imagery that I saw. The imagery that I saw was household. If you and I enter to the life of discipleship, everybody say discipleship. Then we have to be willing to learn. The fact of the matter is some of us have been hurt by church. Some of us have been hurt by church that didn't take family seriously because when things got hard, it didn't go the way it should have gone. Not could have gone, should have gone. You want to know why I love people that have been in my life? Because almost every person that I mention to you are people who didn't like me at first. I'm for real. Captain Crow didn't like me at first. No, Norman didn't like me. Like, and it wasn't because they didn't like because they were like those kind of people. I'm saying the relationship was hard. And it was life-giving because the most life-giving things are usually the ones that are won through the hard work. Where we sit down and we work it out and we, we figure it out and we say, I don't have much, but you don't have any and I'm going to give you a little of what I do have. That's church. And you want to know the mark of that kind of church? It isn't a sermon. The mark of that kind of church is evidenced by the kind of people who make up that church. You know what I love about our church? Luanga. I mean, I love all y'all. Don't get me wrong. I'm, saying, you know, I'm not saying. 
I love the fact that we are becoming, not become, not have become, becoming constantly the kind of church where people who didn't have homes can find a home. That does not mean we're perfect. The good news is God didn't call us to perfection. God called us to faithfulness. It does mean we can be faithful. We love one another for what? God's sake. We learn how to guard one another's backs. We learn how to protect one another's kingdom values. We learn how to believe one another's motives rather than judge them and question them. We learn how to sing one another's praises. We learned this because of who we are, because you and I are a chosen race, a what? Royal priesthood, a what? Holy nation, a people for God's possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and we are a people of the table. We are a people who come to the table, and we come to the table together remembering that we don't choose who comes to the table with us. Other people may try to choose, and if they do, they won't stay here very long. Are you with me? I used to believe that we were a church for everybody. I have come to believe we are not. I wish we were, but we're just not. Because if people are going to make leadership choose between them and Lawanga, guess who gets chosen? If a church is going to make a leadership choose between members of the LGBTQIA community, if you're going to choose between people who generally speaking are on the margins of society, people who are generally alone, then a leadership that is faithful will choose the people on the margins because the people who aren't in the margins can find 62 other churches to be a part of. Because church is family. And church doesn't leave when it gets hard like this. We work through these things together and we press on and we extend the arms of the family of God and we welcome people because that's what God ultimately has done for us. And all of its tension and all of its complexity, we learn how to do it together. Because that's what it means to be the household of God. Are you with me? You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.